Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken with Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Unstoppable. Actually, it should be called Church Unstoppable because it's based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Now, as we've seen before, the Acts of the Apostles is actually an historical account. It's like, it's like reading history. You know, but it's, but it's so much more than that. It's a biblical account of the beginnings of the church. Our historian is Dr. Luke. And this is the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke as well. Not only is he compiling the accounts of great men of God, like of the Apostle Paul and Peter and Timothy, Barnabas and others, but he also... Dr. Luke also is an eyewitness. We saw this in our last reading when Luke added the words um, when he talked about the companions of Paul. He said they joined us. And later he says we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. So Luke was one of the the companions of Paul. And as a result he's he's also adding the credibility of this being an eyewitness account of the birth of the church, the working of the Holy Spirit, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, even demons fleeing from the name of Jesus Christ by spoke, when spoken by, by the apostles. So, and we've seen in these last 19 chapters of Acts uh, that the, one of the reasons that the church is unstoppable is because of the supernatural works of the Holy Spirit. You know, at the very beginning, of this study in the book of Acts. Jesus tells his disciples, and this is just before he ascends into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. You know, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that today leads, guides, and empowers uh, the church. Now, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, then as well as now, is to bring great numbers of people into this movement called the church, the body of Christ. Um, Bringing salvation, as as Jesus said, to, to people in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. However, the Holy Spirit is is the life-changing agent that's present in every believer. Once you make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's the Holy Spirit that quickens your spirit. You become quickened. You become born again. You become a a new creation in Christ. Um, That's the opportunity uh, for all of us to be redeemed through the power of the Holy Spirit um, so that we have on our lips our very lips, the power of the testimony of the living God. Now, if, if you've um, experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, you're going to see also that the Holy Spirit is the one that is giving you strength, giving you encouragement, giving you the wisdom to be able to determine the, the right way to proceed, especially as you're following Jesus. 
Now, as we've been traveling through these chapters on the Acts of the Apostles, we have had the opportunity to dig a little deeper into some of these characters that we've met, some of these names of the men and women in the body of Christ. So this last week, uh, we came across two names I thought were very interesting. One of them was Aristarchus, and the other one was Segundus. Aristarchus and Segundus, we, said, we found out, were from uh, the church in Thessalonia. Uh, they were members of that church that Paul had planted, uh, and they have very interesting names. We said that Aristarchus, uh, it, it sounds similar to the name of aristocracy, and that's exactly correct. Most likely, Aristarchus was a man of, of um, high birth. Uh, he had money. He was a man of wealth and power. And he's traveling with Segundus, and we said Segundus was a popular name for a slave. Often, slave masters would not uh, uh, keep the same name for the slave. They would rename them, and Segundus was second. He was a second-class uh, slave uh, for some master. And here we've got Aristarchus and Segundus traveling together, traveling together. It's just a great testimony of what happens in the body of Christ. Our final discussion last week uh, was uh, the account of a young man uh, named uh, Eutychus. And Eutychus fell asleep. He was unfortunate that he was listening to a very long sermon by the Apostle Paul. He was near a window and he, he fell to his death. However, what we said is that God is ultimately sovereign. And these accounts of life and death um, are, are solely his responsibility. Uh, uh, he is the one that is sovereign over these, these calls. And Eutychus was raised up. Um, and we may mention that after Eutychus was raised up, um, Paul continued to speak to some of the men, most likely including Eutychus, until the early mornings, until daybreak. You know, we're fortunate. We are so fortunate that today we have these biblical accounts recorded for us by Dr. Luke and others, and we have it in our, our Bibles. And as a result, we have the opportunity to be able to read and reread these, these accounts and get them deep into our spirit, to be able to recall them at any given time um, as we continue to grow in the love of God. So let's continue today. We're in chapter 20, and we'll join Paul as he's headed to Miletus. This is verses 13 through 18. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. But when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would ha not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now back in verse 3, we read that there was a, a plot uh, that Paul found out about that was going to be carried on, on board while he was on, on board ship from Corinth to Asia. That's why he decided to delay. Now as a result of that de delay, uh, Paul had to take uh, the land route and that forced Paul to miss celebrating Passover in Jerusalem. And this is why he's saying he's so determined to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. 
It says that from Miletus, he, he sent sail to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. Uh, though Paul knew he couldn't make a brief visit to Ephesus, he still wanted to pour his heart out into the leaders of this church that he had founded. So from Miletus, he called for the elders of the church to come and visit with him. Now this was, uh, this was about a 30-mile hike for these elders in, in Ephesus to come to Paul. But Paul had spent three years with them. They, they loved Paul. Um, he, was their, he was their father. And they wanted to spend some time with Paul, so they came to be able to, to say goodbye to Paul. Now, this next section of scripture is Paul's address to these uh, Ephesian elders. I, I'm going to read the entire section. It's, it's 20 verses. Now, if you plan on falling asleep, please don't sit next to a window. Um, I promise, um, as we read this, and these are, these are amazing words of Paul, but in these 20 verses, we're going to see four golden nuggets. So pay attention. After we get done with this large piece of scripture, we'll go through those four nuggets. So this is Acts 20, beginning in verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Now I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish this race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have been preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, Take heed to yourself and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brothers, I, rec I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, souring most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. This passage gives us a very unique look 
into Paul, the pastor. You know, most of the time in the Acts of the Apostles, we see Paul the Apostle, or we'll see Paul the Evangelist. But here in Acts chapter 20, we get a unique picture of Paul the Shepherd and how he cares for all of God's people. You know, Paul spent three years in, in Ephesus. He was called uniquely uh, to travel, to be the missionary to the Gentiles. And, but he spent three years in Ephesus, more than any time else, more than any time else during his, his years of traveling. And he planted this church in Ephesus. They were his people. Now he's passing by the city of Ephesus, and he's not quite there. He knows that if he goes to Ephesus, they'll, he'll be delayed. So he calls these elders to him so they could have one last time together. He, he couldn't leave without saying his goodbye. He needs to say goodbye because these are people that he loved and he knows that he's likely not going to see them ever again. Now these 20 verses, I said, give us an orderly account and they also give us four nuggets, four nuggets of truth that we're going to, to unpack. These four nuggets are Paul's motive, Paul's message, Paul's manner, and Paul's ministry. So first, his motive. Paul calls these Ephesian elders together to, to meet with him. The very first thing that Paul does is recall their first time together. He reminisces about their past relationship together, particularly the integrity of his own ministry among them. His motive we see in verse 19. Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know, in the, in the body of Christ, the only way, and I want to emphasize that, the only way we can truly serve the Lord is with humility. Now, even for the leaders in the church, we're all called to, to humility, or especially the leaders of the church. In fact, the term servant leader is based on the example of Jesus Christ. The Lord spoke of this quality when he said, just as the Son of, of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's in Matthew chapter 20. As Jesus gave his life to serve others, to minister and to lay down his life, we who follow him are also called to serve in the same way, in humility. This is true of all who serve, but especially for the Christian leader, the pastor, the teacher, the Sunday school superintendent, even those who serve in areas of finance and production and worship and administration, we are all, all of us are to be servant leaders. In this epistle to the Philippians, uh, in, his, in his epistle to the Philippians, Paul talked about Christ's humility uh, when he said, each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be in the same as Jesus Christ who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, getting back to Paul's motivation, we said that he was a, a humble servant, but he was also driven. Notice in verse 20, it says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. That's a man that's driven. At this time, the body of Christ is meeting in houses. There's no churches. There's no three services at your local assembly to, to preach. Um, he traveled. He traveled house to house, meeting room to meeting room, and he did this for, for three years. And, and, and notice it says, he kept nothing back. 
he was motivated to proclaim all all of the mysteries of Christ, to share the new covenant that is established in the, in the blood by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now secondly, the second golden nugget, Paul's manner. Verse 20 actually touched on Paul's manner. He, was, he taught house to house. The entire time he was with them, he lived a simple and a, a disciplined life to serve the Lord with humility and with tears. And recall he was he always remembered to preach first to the Jews. He says, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our life, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later in verse 33, Paul speaks of his manner as well regarding financial support. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourself know that by these hands I have I've provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Now Paul shows us how to minister by his example. We read a few chapters ago that Paul was a, a tent maker by trade. He often supported himself by his own labor. He took offerings and taught that the laborer was worthy of his wage. But Paul's primary concern was to provide for those that were truly in need. Uh, for example, he was taking up an offering. We read this in 1 Corinthians as well. For the saints in Jerusalem and for the poor and for the weak. He also wanted to remain above reproach. Paul surrounded himself with other people that would keep him uh, accountable and could testify at any time of Paul's integrity. You know, years ago when I worked for Ford Motor Company, I had the, the privilege of, of driving brand new cars and sometimes multiple cars during the same year. And because they were my cars, I could loan them to my friends, to my family. Now the company didn't mind this at all. Uh, they encouraged us. It was a good way for Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln products to be shown, to be a test drove uh, by future customers and prospective customers. Well, our, our pastor and very, very good friend, uh, Hugh, was a, was a very humble man, and the church actually paid him a very modest salary. One year, he and his wife were driving to a church conference in Springfield, Missouri, and I had a brand new Lincoln. It was a beautiful car. And I offered him to, to use the car. That way he could get there safely. It was a real nice car for he and his wife. And uh, he initially resisted. But I said, go, please go ahead. It would, be my, it would be my honor. So he thanked us for the use of the vehicle uh, when he returned. Uh, but he, it was interesting. He, he told him that the whole time he was driving the car, it made him nervous. And he, he wasn't used to luxury at all. And like the Apostle Paul, he was, uh, he was a servant leader. And he would never have taken funds donated to the work of the Lord and spent it on himself for anything that was luxurious, especially a luxury vehicle. He told me that he actually parked the car a few blocks away from the conference and, and walked the last couple blocks uh, just because, uh, again, he wanted to keep his integrity intact. He didn't want to be accused of, of anything. Uh, this is the life of the servant leader. Now, back to Paul's message. Paul said, I kept nothing back from you that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. Now, what Paul is referring to is what he actually says, and what we refer to to this day, it's the whole counsel of God, or the full counsel of God. Uh, preachers are to teach it all, to hold nothing back. Paul actually says, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you, again, here's the words, the whole counsel of God. 
Now, declaring the whole counsel of God is actually what made Paul innocent of anyone's choice to turn away from the truth. Paul had fulfilled his ministry among the Ephesians. Paul could firmly say before these appointed elders that he held nothing back. He didn't only teach the topics that pleased him or pleased them, he told them all. Now the whole counsel of God often includes those things that are, that are difficult to teach. The fact that we're all sinners, that Jesus is the only way, that we cannot save ourselves through, through works. The fact that there's a judgment coming and that without Jesus we'll all be judged in our works and all of us without Jesus would be found guilty. The whole counsel of God also speaks to Christ's second coming, his, uh, the resurrection of the dead and eternal life with Christ. Now finally, Paul's ministry. Paul was commissioned by God on the road to Damascus. He was chosen by God to take the gospel to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And it was with the Gentile that we see that Paul had his greatest success. In verse 22, Paul speaks of this present and coming ministry. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. What he's saying there, he means that he's, he's given up his life. Paul would later say that it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives through me. That's Paul's attitude. That's Paul's ministry, is that it's for, for Christ. It's all for Christ. Paul's ministry was not just to testify to the gospel, but remember, Paul's ministry was also to plant churches. It was important to Paul that these elders in Ephesus continue on. Paul's going to be leaving. He's turning the, the, uh, uh, the ministry over to these elders. It's important that they continue on, they, they, that they become servant leaders. They would be fully committed to not only the proclamation of gospel, but also the shepherding of the flock. Paul says in verse 28, he says, Pay attention. Pay attention to the people of God. Love them. Look over them. Care for them. Do it because the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his, his own blood. You know, this word uh, overseers is a Greek word. It's episkopos. It's translated here as overseer, but it's also translated as bishop and sometimes as elder. It's the primary title along um, with a similar word uh, that's translated as, as elder, presbyteros. Uh, and, and Paul gives us these two terms, episkopos and presbyteros, um, to identify those that are to govern, that are to lead the church. Paul also speaks of pastor and deacons. However, it's the episkopos and the presbyteros that are to be the leaders. The plan that the apostle Paul followed in his ministry was to appoint these bishops and these elders. They were empowered uh, to provide oversight to the church. From among them, they would choose those that were to preach, and they would appoint deacons to serve, and they would safeguard the ministry. You know, there are some churches that claim that this word presbyteros is the origin of the word priest, uh, but that's not a correct examination of this word. The word priest is found often, actually, in the New Testament. In fact, there are 92 occurrences in the New Testament of the word priest, and it always refers to Jewish priests or the priesthood of Jesus with only two exceptions. 
uh, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, but you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, since you may proclaim the excellences of him who was called out of darkness. So this is Paul's general call to everyone in the body of Christ, that we're all called to be priests. The other time the word priest is used is in reference to, uh, to us is in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And it's the same uh, type of usage. The Apostle John says that it is God who loved us and has released us from our sins by his blood, who has made us to be a kingdom of priests to God and uh, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. So again, in these only two instances, the word priest is used to all of the believers. The single word priest always in the New Testament refers to the Old Testament priests, the priests that serve in the temple or the tabernacle. The Bible is clear that for the Jews, God established in the tribe of Levi through the descendants of Aaron, the priest for the tabernacle and the temple. They were necessary intermediaries between God and the people. They would offer sacrifices for the people and they would make intercession for Israel. But now in this dispensation, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. We have the ability to go to God directly because of our relationship through Jesus Christ. In the Bible, Jesus Christ calls us sons and daughters of God and he calls us friends. You know, I want to finish up today's lesson with some of the very last things that the Apostle Paul said to these Ephesian elders. In verse 36 he says, But when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck, and they kissed him. The body of Christ is a, a real body. It's made up of people from every nation, every tongue, every people. The church is your family just like you have a, a natural family. When I was in an organization outside of Washington, D.C., uh, we worked with 2,000 Christian ministries and provided financial oversight. And we often use this verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to describe the work that we did. It says that when there's, uh, Paul said that we pray that there would be no division in the body, that all members should have the same care for one another. And in verse 26 it says, and if one member suffers, if one part of the body of Christ suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. You know, we are one body in Christ, just like your natural family. Protect each other, encourage each other, cherish each other. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together. And, uh... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.